All right. Man, good morning, Hillcrest family. Hey, come on, Jeff. It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a good week. Um, so I got to take my in-laws. Uh, we arrived at the uh, Madison Airport this morning at 5.45 to say uh, goodbye after a fun week with the in-laws. And, um, and so if me being up at 4.45 has an impact on today, you guys have some understanding as to why. But I shared that with, uh, with someone in the lobby about how I dropped my in-laws off at the airport. And they said, David, man, you sounded more excited about that than you should be. I don't know, I don't know if you're telling me something. But we had a great week, a lot of fun. And I uh, got to brag on uh, our church family. got to brag on you guys a little bit in talking with them this week and just how meaningful uh, this church family has been for, for Casey and I and, and just the way you guys love us as a family. It's been incredibly uh, meaningful for us. So it was fun to brag on you guys a little bit this week. Um, some stuff coming up. We're, we're going to do four weeks uh, of the Easter story today. Jesus teaches, and we're going to look at the Beatitudes. And, and then next week, we're going to look at the triumphal entry. And Jesus uh, arriving in, in, uh, on, the, on, the, on the back of a donkey and, and just the prophecies attached to his triumphal entry. And then the following weekend, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I'm really excited for what Jack is preparing for us for Good Friday. Um, you know, you hear the story so many times, um, and yet for me, what Jack prepares for us for Good Friday is deeply meaningful. So I'm really excited for uh, what what that time will look like as we reflect on, on that dark day, Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday, and then the following Sunday, we're going to, on April 24th, go through Jesus Reigns. And, it, and it's gonna look slightly different. We're soliciting questions from us, that Jesus Reigns, that the story isn't written, we anticipate his second coming. And yet there's questions that we have in the meantime. And so we're going to try and have more of a panel-type discussion uh, from some of the questions that arrive from our community, um, that we celebrate questions around here. Curiosity is a good thing, and that we want to continue the conversation even beyond the 24th. So we're excited for the 24th and what that will be. And in between then, there's also a family night coming up this Saturday, April, uh, April 8th, and Erin and her team are planning a great opportunity, both for families to participate, but if you'd love to serve or connect in that way, uh, I know Erin and her team would love your help in that way. That'd be incredibly meaningful. So we're, we're digging in to Jesus teaches, and, and we're going to go through the Beatitudes. And, and so tell me if this sounds familiar. Tell me if this means anything to anybody. You guys ever heard that sound? A rare, thank you, Jeff. Just a rare sound. Feels like we get fewer and fewer phone calls in our world, that, that no one actually picks up the phone to be able to hear a ring that you might, na- might answer, other than like a spam call. No one actually uses a phone anymore. And so this, this might not surprise you, uh, but when I was in elementary school, there was this thing called like the phone book. You guys have heard of this thing? This sounds familiar. That was under the age of 25. It was a, a piece of paper that had names and numbers on it. So there was this thing called the phone book, and there, there was one for uh, the school I went to. So I'm in elementary school, uh, probably fifth, sixth, maybe middle school. And, and I remember opening up that list of all the names and numbers 
And so what does it mean when you call someone? What, what are you entering into? It's a call for a conversation. It's a call for a relationship, right? That there's a relationship being offered, an invitation to relationship. And so I remember calling those names one by one, calling those names on that list. And, and, and for you guys under 25, uh, there was a thing called a phone, but we, were, we weren't high class. We didn't have a cordless phone. We just had a phone with a cord on it. So I had to stay right next to the thing. It was prior to the days of this thing. But this morning, Jesus is going to have a similar call for relationship. And as we get into the Beatitudes, I'm going to share a minority position that I hold. So test this. This is what I love about our community. Test this. We want to be biblically saturated. But we're going to enter into the Beatitudes where, where many read the Beatitudes as the B-attitudes of what you're supposed to aspire to be. I actually want us to read it through the lens of a call to relationship. That this sermon on the mount is one of the most iconic, mysterious sermons ever given because Jesus is inviting us into this upside down kingdom and there's this feeling of getting caught up something bigger than yourself. And so as we read it, I wanna offer you guys this lens of reading it through the lens of a call to relationship. That Jesus is actually extending a call to relationship with himself and it offers a beautiful picture of what Matthew is recording the Beatitudes for us as. So here's where we're headed this morning. Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So as we jump in, Jesus is now entering onto this scene, and he's moving from unknown to known, and Jesus teaches, and he's unveiling in this sermon, in Matthew's recording, he's unveiling his upside-down kingdom. And so pray with me as we, as we dump, jump into the text together. Oh, God, you are so good. Well, what a gift to sit and hear from you through your word, through the words of Matthew that he recorded. And, and we just ultimately want to uh, hear from you so that we can apply these truths to our life in our everyday circumstance. So reveal yourself, we pray, always for your glory in this journey. Amen. Amen. So, so here's where we're headed. Jesus is moving from unknown to known. If you turn to Matthew 4, here's how Matthew is recording it. And this is going to be helpful, I think, to see it in the flow if you actually open it up. Because usually we're in James and you can kind of track along. Matthew, I think, gives us a window on how he's hoping we read Jesus stepping onto the scene 
in Matthew 4. Here's our movement, our map for this morning. We're going to see that the kingdom of God is at hand and the invitation to enjoy God's kingdom is for everyone. And that accepting God's invitation has incredible implications. So in Matthew 4, here's where Matthew is taking us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 4. And leading up until this point, he's told us the genealogy of Jesus. He's told us John the Baptist is preparing the way. He's told us again about the temptations. And now Jesus is stepping on the scenes. And these are the transition words that Matthew gives us. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I, and I don't do this often, but this word just strikes me. So I, I don't ever want to make the Bible inaccessible. I think there's great English translators. I love these brilliant minds that took the Greek words and put them into English so that we could understand them. But it's when I come across words like this that just wreck me. Because the word repent, this Greek word metanoia has a beautiful, beautiful idea attached to it. Because when we hear repent, we often hear change. But the word in its meaning, metanoia, is change in thinking. That Jesus is saying, repent, change your thinking for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change in your thinking from what you used to believe. Now I want you to believe something else, that the kingdom is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does it mean that Jesus is calling us that the kingdom is at hand? What's that mean? The kingdom is present because King Jesus has now stepped on the scene. That the God, man, God has become a man and dwelt among us. The kingdom is present now. It is at hand. It is near. Why? Because Jesus is present. It is a call to relationship. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's not exclusively, maybe as we've seen it as, for a later time or in a place far, far away. Instead, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's three ideas implied that Jesus is saying about this kingdom, that it is this King Jesus forming a people that live together under his reign. That King Jesus is now saying, repent, change in your thinking. The kingdom is here. King Jesus has arrived. And he's calling a people to live in a way under this reign. And, and, and here's what often strikes me, though. We got a lot of things going on. Repent for the kingdom of his at hand. Because Jesus doesn't just want to be a thing. He wants to be the one thing in our lives. It doesn't want to be a thing in our lives, on our pie chart of life, but he wants to be the one thing in our lives. And, and so, I don't know if I've told you, I got a fish tank recently. So we were, we were hanging with our kids, and, and they got so excited about fish. And so these, these tanks, I mean, it's like a bait and switch. You see the tank on the box and it has everything in there. And then when you open it up, what's actually in there? Just a tank. Then you gotta buy the rocks, and you gotta buy the plants, and you gotta buy all that stuff. Well, here's what happened. So we started putting the fish in this fish tank, and then within a few hours, six for six had died. It was like a, it was like a horrible experience. It was a horrible, I mean, I, 
And I, we didn't buy any like crap. We bought like the hardiest fish of all, guppies. These things are supposed to just survive. And so I called the guy. I'm like, why did our fish just all die? He goes, well, well, did you put your hands in the water? Did you? I'm like, yeah, well, that's, isn't that how you got to put like the plants in? He says, maybe you put hand sanitizer on your hands. And so when you put your hands, you actually muddied up the waters. I'm like, well, I thought I was cleaning my hands to prepare. Ugh. Anyway, so six for six. And my kids wanted to have a burial for the fish. So circle of trust. We... We might have disposed of them another way. We might have flushed them. That might have been a possibility. But, but a fish tank. It feels to me sometimes we get so enraptured by this stuff. Because before they died, my kids were glued to this thing. They couldn't get enough of just staring at these fish floating, swimming around in this aquarium. Feel sometimes because we become so familiar with King Jesus that we've lost the mystery that he gets to behold the aquarium of the ocean every day. That we get so caught up in these little things in life that we forget the mystery and the magnitude of what it means that God is watching this sea of fish. Did you guys watch the game last night? There was a basketball game on, if, if any of you were unaware. There was a massive basketball game on Final Four, Duke versus North Carolina, and it's fascinating to watch these guys play. They are incredible athletes. I mean, the, the, the ability, how they can jump out of the gym, it is incredible. There was a time for a brief moment when I could barely dunk a basketball. Those days are long gone. But to watch these guys is just incredible. Now just take that to another level. Our infinite God is watching, and there's Christian Leitner and Michael Jordan getting to watch the display of his creation every moment of every day, time present, time past, time to come. And we just become so familiar with this, this first century prophet that we forget just who he is and the magnitude of what he is calling. It is a call to relationship with King Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and and FYI, if any of you are in like IT or something, for the last minute and a half of the game, we lost internet connection. It was like the worst. And so we're sitting there with this incredible game at 10.30 last night. So if you were in IT, I would love your help fixing my internet connection. But here's what it feels like. Dallas Willard says this about this reality that we miss. Human beings can lose themselves in a card game or electric trains and think they are fortunate. But to God, there is available, in the language of one reporter, towering clouds of gases trillions of mile high, backlit by nuclear fire and newly forming stars, galaxies cartwheeling into collision and sending explosive shockwaves boiling through millions of light years of time and space. These things are all before him, along with numberless unfolding rosebuds, souls, and songs, and immeasurably more of which we know nothing. It's a call to relationship. Jesus steps on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's not the be attitudes of a new echelon of legalism that we're supposed to attain. Instead, it is this awesome invitation into the creator of the universe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and the invitation to enjoy God's kingdom is for everyone. So here's how Matthew says it. Go back to the text in Matthew 4, 17. 
From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's the very next segment of details that Matthew includes? Here's what he says. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, verse 23, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And, and so people start coming to Jesus to be healed. And they're hearing this message, repent for the kingdom is at hand, a call to relationship. And then Jesus, seeing the crowds, goes up and shares the Beatitudes. So who's in that crowd? Who did Matthew tell us was in that crowd? As Jesus is looking around, he's not, he's not seeing the best and the brightest who does Matthew record is in this crowd? Yeah, the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And this crowd starts to form around him. And then the very next thing Matthew records is seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So we might be tempted to think Jesus is now just speaking to this small group of disciples, but if we go to chapter seven, that book ends the Sermon on the Mount, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Matthew wants us to see the call, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the crowds start coming, who's in that crowd? These are the broken, the afflicted, those that have been dismissed by their friends, sitting outside the gate because they have some kind of disease. No one wants to go near them. And Jesus begins talking to them. And here are the words he says to them. Seeing the crowds. He goes up on a mountain and he begins talking. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So often we read the Beatitudes as this new list to attain, the Beatitudes of something I need to aspire to. This is the new set of legalism that Jesus is ushering in. Instead, what if we actually viewed it through this call of relationship? What if we actually saw it through the lens of an invitation that the kingdom was at hand and saw it through the lens of who actually was there that Jesus was speaking to? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rather than over-spiritualize it, what if he's looking out in that crowd at a bunch of spiritual zeros? Those that aren't actually called to pray for dinner. <laughs> that they don't have some biblical degree that earns them some privileged status to sit in the temple. That they're the people that are overlooked by and large by this society. And Jesus turns and says, blessed are you who are impoverished. For yours, present tense, the kingdom is available to you. Everybody else in your society says you just aren't good enough, and yet, what does Jesus say? The invitation is for everyone. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The spiritual zeros, 
that those that aren't looked upon as holding any value in some spiritual context don't bring anything to the table, there's a call to relationship. He continues, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. What do we usually do? We add mourn their sins. Instead, blessed are those who mourn, why? Though you're in the midst of grief and pain-stricken disease and you're ostracized by your community, you're blessed, why? Not because of what you have, but because of your accessibility to the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The opportunity to be in relationship with King Jesus in this upside down kingdom that is so radical compared to the world they live in. Blessed are those who mourn. Is he instructing us to be sad? Or is he actually speaking grace into those that are sad? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, sometimes seen as well, meek is power under control. Or we just take the word for what it is, which is gentle and mild. Blessed are those that are getting trampled right now because of your disposition, why? Not because of your ability to attain power, but your access and connection to King Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do we see it through this call to relationship? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or interpreted justice. If you hunger and thirst for things to be made right, you look around and you just see injustices, people cheating each other, swindling each other, and you just feel the pain in that. Jesus says, that's what my kingdom is about. The kingdom is at hand through me. Not these other circumstances getting solved, but a call to relationship. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Rather than just getting trampled upon, is their life in King Jesus' name. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Again, we want to spiritualize it. In that Jewish context, there were some ceremonies that they purified things. The pure in heart. Who are those people? Those perfectionists that are constantly trying to get things right and attain through their abilities, even though they're in this marginalized society, if I just do the right thing, then I'll be accepted. Man, blessed are you, even in the midst of striving, I'm calling you to relationship. It is the accessibility of the kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Those that are caught in between this tension of two people warring and you're trying to bring reconciliation. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, present tense, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on whose account? My account. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what the kingdom of heaven is made up of. People who have gone off their rocker and taken up with King Jesus. <laughs> who have found their identity. Repent. They've had a change in their thinking and they find life in this call to relationship. And here's how Luke records it. Because in Matthew, we could be tempted to say, well, man, there sounds like there's some spiritual connotations in there that we should attain to. Here's how Matthew records, or Luke records it, the Sermon on the Mount. And he came down with them and stood on a level pay, a place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude and people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon 
who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Who's in this crowd? <laughs> this is the broken. These are the ones looking, looking for healing, ostracized by the rest of society. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. If these are spiritual attributes for us to attain, and poverty is an attribute for us to attain, by and large, the evangelical Western Christian church is in really big trouble. <laughs> Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Do we see this through the lens of an invitation to relationship, a call to relationship, to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the count of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. If your identity is primarily found in your success and wealth, then you haven't fully captured repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But woe to you, rich. Woe to those who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the prophets. If your primary identity is found in those spheres of relationship, we haven't had a change in thinking. The kingdom is available. And we can apply this in a silly way, Right? When we hear that the kingdom is available and accessible, we could apply this in a silly way and say, you know, even those Vikings fans, I don't know if they made the cut, but you know, Jesus says the kingdom's available for all, so even the Vikings fans, ah, maybe they can make it in. The bald, the ugly, the old, the misshapen, the socially awkward, in a silly way we could say, ah, the kingdom's available. But if Jesus' invitation is for all, there's a more serious connotation that there's a seriousness to the broken, the broken that are invited. To the drug addicts, the divorced, the barren, the pregnant too many times at the wrong time, the brain damaged, those that might just want to euthanize some, some older adults, those people that don't have any value to society, the brain damaged, the underemployed or the unemployed, the lonely, the emotionally starved or dead, the Republicans or the Democrats, the invitation to the kingdom is for them to. And then go one more step. Who's invited to the kingdom? Because you might look at this list and go, Man, they're included? <laughs> the accessibility of the kingdom and a call to relationship, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The immoral, the murderers, the child molesters, the bigoted, the filthy perverted and the filthy rich, the vengeful and the war criminals, the kingdom is available. And I love how Paul picks up on this accessibility of the kingdom. Here's how he says it. He gives a list of those areas where we still can turn from 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those that still cling and haven't changed in their thinking, who still cling to those other things for satisfaction and significance, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And just as we are saying, yes, that's true, here's what Paul tells us. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The kingdom is available. The kingdom of God is at hand in a very present sense because King Jesus had arrived and the invitation to enjoy God's kingdom is for everyone. And if we believe this to be true, accepting God's invitation has incredible implications. Here's what he says. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he calls us to follow, to follow in his way of making this invitation accessible. But sometimes in this life, in our Monday to Saturdays, this feels sometimes confusing and, 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 we, and we lose some perspective. Hey, Tom, would you just join me up here for a second? Thanks, Tom. Stairs are good. You didn't want to jump? You didn't want to try to make this jump right here? I've seen your skills. We play basketball on Thursday. I've seen Tom's skills. So, <laughs> so, so here's what it feels like in our Monday to Saturday where, where we just got a lot going on. How, how do we actually live out this call to follow Jesus? Because, so these are, these are commentaries. So this just reflects my vocation, and I absolutely count it an incredible privilege that you guys allow me to read this stuff. But whatever your vocation is, we just do stuff during the week, right? How, how do you have this call to follow Jesus when there's just so much stuff going on? You guys know we just had a baby recently? Eden's about a 15 months old, and so we just load up on the diapers, so, 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 I mean, we just have stuff, right? Eden's got needs, you know, he wakes up in the middle of the night, not too often, but she's just, just got to take care of her, right? I mean, how, how do you do this call to follow Jesus when you just got stuff? And then Casey, you know, will call me up sometimes and she'll say, well, you got to go pick up the groceries or something. I mean, there's just stuff going on in life. And that's the dots, pretzels, those things are fantastic, and then, and then the value of picking up groceries is I get to go pick up my own coffee. That's usually the bonus. But we just got stuff, right? In our Monday to Saturdays, we just get busy. What does this call to Jesus really look like in following him? Because then, I mean, you guys know, right? I, I was building a deck recently. I mean, how do you follow Jesus when you got all this activity of building a deck? And some would say, where do you want to put this? You, wanna, you got your fingers are just loading up there. And some would say, I still haven't built a de deck. That's what Casey usually tells me. That's still yet to be accomplished. And, and I loved coaching my girls' team, right, for basketball. It was basketball season just recently. Yep. And, and it's so fun to just, where do you want to put this? Under your arm there? I mean, it's just a blast, right? But then you start just doing all this stuff. Where, where's this time to follow Jesus? How do we fit this into our schedule? And then, I mean, because i got to have some me time, right? And so, I mean... I gotta play some basketball. I mean, that's a critical part of every week. And, 
I ripped my laces, so I just went and found another pair of shoes and just tied some other laces on there. But there you go. I mean, what do you do when there's just so much activity? And you know spring's coming up? I mean, spring's coming up. And, and so we got to go, we got to go buy some bikes. I mean, it's, it's spring. And so we, you got to get new helmet. You want to wear this or we'll just, we'll just put it here? And then can you, can you, where do you want to hold this? We'll just, we'll just put it here. I mean, in life, it just gets so full. Where do we have time? I mean, it's just confusing. How, how do I actually fulfill this call to follow Jesus in the midst of all the other stuff I got going on? And yet there is the beauty of Jesus' call to repent for the kingdom is at hand. Rather than beginning to see all these as just competing factors, because these are all good things, wouldn't we agree? These are great things in life. Rather than trying to squeeze Jesus on top of them or somehow, we actually begin seeing every single one of these through the lens of a call to relationship with King Jesus. That in and through the basketball, because those that are looking for hope in life with Jesus, that love underwater basket weaving, they're just gonna have to hear about them from someone other than me. They're probably not gonna hear about them from me. But those of you that are, you're just living your life increasingly with this sense. Because what's evangelism? It's just this ongoing movement of growing more in love with Jesus. We call that process around here ongoing spiritual transformation. That evangelism is just those who are participating in any one of these areas that are growing in a sense of finding more joy in God. They've yet to come to faith. And then those on the other side, as you're interacting with them in any of these situations, you're just inviting them to more joy in God than these other things. There's more joy in anything more than God intended, and we just see those things slowly with our time, with our treasure, with our talent, hold less weight in our life. But we don't get rid of this stuff. Instead, we actually get to see you want to get rid of it? Tom's like, I'm just, just, you want to drop it right here? You can just drop it right there. Nice job, Tom. Give Tom a hand. Nice job. And I think Fred, I think Fred's got a, a Firefly gift card for you, Tom. He's with your name on it. <laughs> nice job. That we actually see our faith infused into all those areas of life in this ongoing journey of life. This is that call to relationship. And, and so, there's a cost. And we pay it gladly. The cost, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That it comes with a cost. And the call for all is missed when we fail to recognize, remember, and repent. That we fail to recognize that we once were dead at the bottom of the ocean and that our souls were ransomed apart from anything we did, and that we remember that reality and don't get lost in our day-to-day -day and our Monday to Saturday, but instead are continually in awe of the reality that King Jesus has called us into relationship with him. And then we repent. From that time, Jesus came and he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so here's, 
Here's, here's where we're going to conclude, and, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. What are the implications in our Monday to Saturday? That if we truly have come to believe that there is life in King Jesus' name, there are still things that cling to our souls that, that we might need to actually repent of. And so in this Easter season, we celebrate the reality that Jesus bought and paid for all these myriads of brokenness and hurt in our lives. And so we're just going to spend a, a few minutes here reflecting on what that might look like as we continue to cling to the cross. So what might we need to repent of? What, what are those areas in our life? There's something called the sins of commission. Things that we are actively choosing apart from God's design that, that we just want to continue to fight against. Those might be this continual battle against sexual sins that just feel like they will never go away. Each day feels like just another day of, of not being successful in that area. Maybe in the area of control or anxiety, I'm just overwhelmed by the fears of this life or when things don't go my way, my anxiety rises. When people don't do exactly what I want them to do when I want them, anger or wrath pours out from my heart and I dismiss it as it's just my personality, it's just who I am instead is it an area that God might be growing us and calling us to repentance? If gluttony or work start to consume me, that I think just another bit of food or another hour of work is going to be that fulfillment for my life. Where I'm actively looking for food to do something it cannot do or looking for the fulfillment of work to accomplish something in my heart that it actually can't. Or idolatry, is there something that I've placed in and above God with my time, with my treasure, with my talent, where I've placed something above him? God, we want to repent of these things, of the sins of commission, but also the sins of omission. Things that, though I would be a reflection of finding life in your name, I'm not living up to as fully as I'd like. That I'm not worshiping God to the degree that, that he is worthy of. Not worshiping on a Sunday, but actually in our Monday to Saturday, God is just a distant thought and no relevance for my life. Do we repent of not worshiping God to the degree that he is worthy of? And in the busyness of life, am I never taking time to be still and know that he is God? Not praying for his kingdom to come in the midst of the brokenness. That I'm not praying and there's no stillness in my life. And I'm not generous with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. I would prefer to spend those things for whatever would be most fulfilling to me. Is God calling me to repent in that area? And when someone wrongs me, I withhold any sort of forgiveness from them. I am not forgiving a sin of omission. And in my Monday to Saturday, am I not living my life as an everyday missionary? in light of living life on mission, seeing my life with Christ permeate every area. 
And then there's sins that maybe have been perpetrated, committed against others. The hypocrisy that I might live with in my desire to be right, though inconsistent in my life. Where my religiosity or judgment starts to dominate my view of others. God, are these things that we might repent of in light of living in your kingdom and in relationship with you. The power of the tongue, the gossip or slander or lying, I give a different idea of what the truth is. Or I just have an indifference towards the needs of others around me. Though I see them, I often feel just callous and cold towards any of their pain. And God, something that even in the midst of these, that might still wage against our hearts, that, that we feel the sin against ourselves where we beat ourselves up and, and condemn us ourselves for not being where we think we ought to be instead of releasing ourselves to your grace. So this Easter season, God, may we feel more of the weight of your sacrifice and your grace on our lives. May we repent of wherever the brokenness in our lives is and cling more fully, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, we want that more fully in our lives. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.